Hello, Kai. How's it going? Good. Thank you. Very. I'm now in the parliament and um, yeah, had a busy day working on the AI Act. <laughs> okay. What, what's a typical day like for you working on the AI Act? Well, um, it depends a little bit. Um, we have often two or three times a week um, official meetings or informal meetings where we are really meeting with um, other political groups. Um, but then there are also some days to prepare those meetings, to prepare um, wordings so for the new law, but then also meetings with stakeholders, going to events and so on. So it's really a lot of different uh, tasks. But at the moment, what is really dominating is the work on the text or on the future AI Act. Interesting. And I guess for the audience, before we jump into that, uh, <laughs> to following on that, um, do you want to give a quick intro about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, Kai Zena, I'm now since 2017 working in the European Parliament um, for MEP Axel Voss, Conservative um, Party. And we are, well, I think since 2018 or 19, um, really focusing our work on artificial intelligence and all the European attempts to regulate it and to promote it, make it safer and so on and so on. And um, yeah, it's it's quite a riot, <laughs> a lot of very heated um, discussions. And now it seems like the European Union um, is coming closer to really adopt um, the AI Act at the end of the year. And uh, yeah, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. That's interesting. So, uh, and also for the for the audience, I, I guess, and, and if you were to summarize the AI Act, like what's what what is the AI Act, and what's the intent of the AI Act? Yeah, um, it's a good question because um, the European Commission, so here in Europe, um, the institution that is really preparing the law, um, started with, I would say two main objectives. The first um, objective was to make AI safe, um, especially for consumers, for citizens, so um, to really make sure that um, artificial intelligence technologies are in line with our fundamental rights here in Europe. And the second pillar or the second uh, key objectives was um, to promote um, the deployment of um, artificial intelligence and innovation in AI and so on. Um, Unfortunately, I would say the commission then shifted more and more in the safety direction and the AI Act is really a product safety legislation um, and uh, focusing really on risks. And unfortunately, um, let's say promoting AI and also underlining the positive aspects that AI can have, for example, in saving energy, making our traffic uh, safer, um, helping older people with uh, some yeah, robotic uh, stuff or some other automatism and so on. This is not really a part of our EU legislation anymore. So we find it always from our political group a bit sad that it's really only about risk, 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 and um, not so much about how we can use AI to make our life better a little bit at least. That is interesting, and I definitely want to dive into that. To, to back up, so you said that, um, before you give your intro, that you're working on uh, more of the technical aspects 
yeah. uh, the uh, AI Act right now. And I think this will, this will sort of bridge into uh, what you're just talking about. But but what are first describe the technical aspects you're looking at. Uh, maybe we'll start there. Yeah. What, what are some of the major areas that that's under consideration for the act? It's um, well, it's really difficult to to reply to that, and I think the EU realize that they made a little bit of a mistake um, on a conceptual level um, with the AI Act, with the proposed AI Act by the European Commission, because this AI Act is another horizontal um, legislation um, piece. So with this law, they really want to cover all kind of AI technologies, no matter if they are being used, um, again, uh, for example, in a connected car or in a smart grid system or in healthcare, um, in education, whatsoever. And as you know, AI is not AI. So every AI technology yeah. in, in a lot of different sectors have um, completely different uh, level of risk, of um, opportunities, of um, certain characteristics, and so on. So um, going back to your question now to talk about certain technical requirements, for example, when it comes to the data set and uh, then demanding that every and each data set needs to be, for example, fair, so cannot be discriminatory, needs to be balanced, needs to include um, all kind of different um, yeah, groups in the society and so on. Sounds um, at first quite good and um, everyone would say yeah, makes sense. For example, if you are talking about um, the use of AI um, in the decision, if you are able to access uh, a public service, for example, no one wants to have discriminations there. But if you are using AI um, for medical research and you are, for example, um, creating um, yeah, some medicine, a drug for pregnant women, then, of course, my data doesn't matter because I am not a woman. And therefore, right. um, all those technical requirements are yeah they are often not easy to to answer and in our sessions or in our in our legislative work we are then talking um, in depth about uh, yeah what i said for example how a data set um, should look like how um, technical documentation should look like um, if there should be a general rule for um, yeah making recordings or about the operation of an AI system and so on. And as I said now already, we came very often to a conclusion um, that those very general requirements that uh, look nice on at the first glance often then do not really make sense um, to to apply them now to, to every AI technology. And this is basically one of the the most important points that we are discussing again and again and again, and um, in the end, trying to really figure out what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. Interesting. This brings up, a, I think, a question that a lot of people um, who aren't working on the act, like well, a yeah. lot of my friends uh, yeah. who work in the AI space uh, and machine learning space, the big question is, okay, so you're looking at all these technical aspects and trying to 
come up with all these cases, but how do you future proof and generalize in a space that changes so quickly? Yeah, almost not possible. So um, again, I think, especially if the first proposal from the European Commission um, tried to do it. So again, tried to come up with um, principles that are then applicable for, for every AI system in every sector, every use text and um, um, context and so on and so on. Um, but now we kind of changed the, the systemical approach, I would um, maybe phrase it, um, in the AI Act to, to indeed make it future-proof. And now we yeah, wrote some general principles that are indeed applicable to every use case, but um, they need to take into account all the time the um, specific context of deployment, um, technical specifications, um, harmonized standards, um, sectorial um, yeah, sectorial backgrounds and so on and so on. It makes everything much more complicated and it needs or it requires also um, a lot of additional layers, for example, for every um, sector. But on the other hand, um, it makes sure that every AI system only in the end needs to fulfill what is doable and what makes sense. So um, in the end, we will have probably in the European Union something which is not so different to the AI bills of rights in the United States. So a really high level framework that is then um, being applied sectorial and in every sector and every use case, let's say the, the level of application and what exactly needs to be fulfilled will differ a little bit. And I think honestly, it's the only way how to do such a horizontal piece as it is really trying to cover all those different uh, technologies that uh, do fall under this buzzword as uh, that AI is. <laughs> Interesting. But then how do you balance that against, you know, as you're, as you're saying, the, uh, the introduction of safety and risk, people start focusing more on that as well. So yeah. um, you have this sort of, um, you know, this sort of generalized rubric of, of technologies and use cases, but then you throw on top uh, ethics and risks. I mean, this, this seems like it's a lot to juggle. Um, yeah, no, definitely. It will only work um, um, if, the European Union is really developing um, very, very, very good harmonized standards. So um, here we have um, a main standardization body called SENSENELEC, and SENSENELEC is um, often taking the internationally agreed ISO standards um, into account, maybe refining them a little bit, um, but um, yeah, first of all, Sensenelec would need to make a very, very good horizontal harmonized standards. And then um, Sensenelec would also need to do um, sectorial uh, standards, so vertical standards that are, again, what I said already, um, taking into account the horizontal um, technical rules, let's say, and then um, trying to adapt them to um, each sector. And um, yeah, I think it will be the only chance to really translate what we have in this high-level AI Act um, in 
guidance, technical standards or harmonized standards, and um, yeah, maybe also some some rule books and maybe maybe code of conducts and so on. So the AI Act is a little bit um, a different kind of digital law. Um, in the past, the European Union made often very strict rule books, but um, I think. Yeah, and with your questions, you several times addressed it already. We kind of realized that um, nowadays everything changes so fast and there are so many different actors that with our traditional uh, lawmaking approaches, uh, we are not anymore able to uh, really keep up with this pace. And then, um, let's say, those general principles and then being translated down in standards, in guidance, in code of conduct, and so on and so on, we see nowadays as the only chance to make our legislation future-proof. And I'm often very critical when it comes to um, EU lawmaking, but I think this is actually um, a good new approach that we are trying out now. Yeah, I mean, walk me through this because I, I remember uh, I live in America and I remember when GDPR came out and as an American working in technology, that was very interesting. I, I, I distinctly remember what was this date here. I just typed it in. It was uh, May 25th, 2018. And yes. so on that day, every company was in the U.S. was basically scrambling to figure out how they're going to suddenly comply with a yeah. GDPR. Um, and I saw a lot of it was interesting. I saw a lot of uh, very um I would say re reactionary type of things. Like some people were just deleting all their data that was older than 90 days. <laughs> yeah. And they're just like, yeah. fine, whatever. Um, so, Cause nobody knew what was going to happen. Right. They're like, Oh, I don't know if the GDP, you know, I don't know if the EU is going to come on every single company or if they're just targeting big tech companies or, you know, who's, who's going to feel the wrath of the EU. Um, and so everyone sort of uh, scrambled to do this. Um, I got a couple of questions related to GDPR. First of all, like, you know, why wasn't GDPR enough? Like, why do we need an uh, AI act? Yeah. Um, well, there are, I think there are a lot of um, possible replies to this question. First of all, um, unfortunately, in the EU, there are also a lot of very um, interesting, let's call them interesting policy makers, uh, like, for example, um, the the president of the European Commission or the vice president, um, so von der Leyen, Vestager, Breton, and so on, um, that have a very strong um, opinion and um, yeah, objectives, um, policy objectives. And for them, um, having an AI act is something that you can sell very good um, in political terms, and you will get a lot of PR um, out of it. Um, it's a flashy new law that is just generating a lot of interest. And um, unfortunately, um, our policymakers here in the European Union lost a little bit um, yeah, we we are using here normally quite strongly the OECD concept on better regulation. So we really want to make sure that all the laws are um, working together very well and so on. But unfortunately, nowadays it's more about making a new shiny proposal that is generating mm -hmm. a lot of interest and and not going into a direction where you are just updating existing legislation. Because what you were saying would have been possible. We could have updated the GDPR on 
AI, we could have used the general product safety um, law that is also currently um, or has been updated. We could have added there some AI provisions. We could also have further updated sectorial legislation like medical device regulation and so on and so on. But again, I think for political reasons, um, a new AI act has been uh, chosen. And yeah, I, I would say this is probably even the main um, reason <laughs> why mm. why we have this law. It makes, actually, that, that's an interesting answer. And it makes sense because the more I started looking at the AI act and versus GDPR, I'm like, well, to your point, why couldn't you just amended the current yeah. law that's already been that everyone knows about versus this new one? Because it's freaking people out in America, for yeah. example, you know, because no, uh, we're just like, okay, so like the Europeans, uh, I mean, there's, a, I want to get your take on this too. That when I was in uh, Paris a few months ago, I was, I was keynoting a talk there and um, somebody came up to me afterward and, and said, because uh, I think they brought me in because they wanted the American perspective on, on business and technology. Um, and the, the thing I noted was, you know, the Europeans, they tend to move a lot slower than the Americans. And maybe that's a feature, maybe that's a bug, but <laughs> it is what it is. And, and so somebody came up to me afterward and said, uh, you know, the, you know, the EU regulates and the US innovates, right? And, yeah. and I, I, I thought a lot about that. I, I, and I, it's, it's an interesting take. Um, but, but I do notice a lot of regulations, like we're not, the US isn't the one coming up with a lot of this stuff. Uh, I think we, to the, to, the, to the extent that we do, it's typically lobby to death um, yeah. to the point where it's just, it doesn't really mean anything. So, um, but in the EU, you guys seem to take it a lot more seriously. Um, and, but I'm, I am wondering like, what do you, what do you think this does to innovation? Cause it seems like you yeah. had GDPR and now you got this and you yeah. know. Uh, yeah, I think, in the end, probably a wiser approach would be something in the middle. Uh, so um, in the middle of US approach and European uh, Union mm -hmm. approach, because we indeed there share your opinion or your assessment, we are over-regulating. We are now um, thinking already about how to regulate the metaverse or virtual worlds Whoa. and so on. Even though, in my opinion, the metaverse looks a little bit dead at the moment. So <laughs> I, I do not know if if this is really smart to regulate already. But yeah, it's really? a little bit the, the mindset um, in the European Union that um, from the beginning, you need to have strict rules. And again, I agree with you that it's often leading to a situation where it's too strict. And especially at the beginning, okay, maybe you, you should have guidance, uh, guidelines or guidance, but in order to, to innovate, especially at the, at the early stage, you, you should have a lot of freedom. And um, I think the American approach there to really focus at this time on investments, on uh, connecting different actors to also um, link researchers with businesses quite strongly and so on makes a lot of sense. Um, here, many companies knowing um, the European Union, they are really waiting for the Commission and for the Parliament and the member states to come up uh, with a law. And only then they are starting the innovation process. And uh, yeah, often we are then really way too late and um, never 
able anymore to to catch up with Chinese companies, with uh, U.S. companies, and so on and so on. So, yeah, it's it's really I think a combination of a lot of um, points, but a lot is about the the different mindset. Mm. Has that always been a characteristic of uh, the EU and the way it operates? Or, or I guess maybe yeah. European uh, governments. Except, again, I'm yes. American. I'm very clueless yeah. about this stuff. So, no, I I think it is. I think it's actually a really a characteristic of especially Western European um, countries of of yeah Germany especially. So, in in my home country, it's really something normal. I think a lot of people would actually feel rather unwell with the situation where you are saying okay. Innovate, uh, innovate freely now, and the rules are coming later. Yeah. In, in Germany, we want to know where we can go, and we need this kind of legal guidance. Um, but again, I, I think the the truth is often in the middle, or the best approach is in the middle. So I do believe um, that we should grant our our companies, our researchers, a little bit um, more freedom at the beginning. And again, maybe this new development in uh, lawmaking that we do believe and that we do trust more on technical standards on um code of conduct binding corporate rules um um public and private partnerships and so on maybe it's a good middle way um but mm. yeah if it's playing out if it's working we will only see in the next years Oh yeah, yeah, you will actually. Yeah, it's no. <laughs> it, it's interesting too because you're trying to anticipate for a future that is exponentially uh, increasing, in, yes. you know, in, in complexity and yeah. um, you know, and as we're as we're kind of talking about you now before the the, the uh, first started recording too, there's just there's so many uh, factors in the world right now that yeah. um, it's it's a it's a crazy place. Um, I think unlike we've seen in a long, long time, maybe ever, because you throw in the component of AI, for example, and technology, yeah. and that was something you just didn't have to worry about back in, you know, other hectic days like the, uh, you know, the Great Depression and so forth. But yeah. you know, this is true. Just the, um, you know, it's there's just a lot of complexity. But you know, I mean, and, and kudos for trying to, you know, um, or I said, you know, kudos to American work. Congratulations for trying to, I guess, get ahead of that because it's. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the the but you know, actually, a friend of mine wanted me to ask, um, you know. What would have to happen in the AI space to make you comfortable with no regulation at all in AI? I, I think for the European Union, this is basically impossible. Again, um, we talked already about the mindset. And um, again, I think most European countries really do want rules. And even our, our um, companies, our universities <laughs> right now, they are saying, Okay, we are maybe not happy with the current stage of the um, AI Act, but um, we, in the end, we all want to have an AI regulation. Um, so I think here are really not a lot of players um, in the market or in politics that are saying the best outcome is no AI Act, and uh, mm -hmm. then we see uh, what the future will bring. But um, yeah, one of the things that um, you were touching up on now um, in in your question is really with the AI Act, we see it constantly how fast everything is changing and uh, foundation models. So uh, those things behind ChatGPT, so AI uh, chatbots now that are more and more frequently used. Um, 
they were not um, on the on the radar of um, lawmakers here right. in the European Union in 2018, 2019, when the prep work of the AI Act started. And suddenly now there is a new discussion how to include generative AI. Um, does it make sense? Um, can we prevent maybe another situation of market dominance by a few powerful upstream companies um, or will we have again a situation where everyone is using kind of uh, ios and android <laughs> uh, where mm. there are two basically powerful platforms and then yeah you you have basically only those two uh, decisions and all those questions are then suddenly coming and then there's always the question now for the lawmaker yeah, do we need to change? Do we need to restructure our law? Again, it's. Um, I think a lot of um, points are speaking for so uh, for this um, approach of having really flexible general um, principles that um, you can kind of bend. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, taking into account different use cases, different situations, and so on. And maybe one point that you were mentioning um, in your GDPR question, um, where I think the European Union is now trying to learn a little bit uh, from uh, mistakes that happened back then, because what happened in the United States was uh, yeah, happening here as well. So there mm -hmm. were a lot of school classes that didn't take pictures anymore from the students because they were thinking this is not in line with the GDPR. And we had a lot of um, legal uncertainty. We had also a lot of fragmentation across Europe. So member states interpreting uh, the GDPR in complete different ways. And now with the AI Act, we are trying a more centralized approach um, where we have a lot of European um, guidance, again, the harmonized standards that are applicable for the whole European Union and so on, to not um, face similar situations like, uh, yeah, you said it in 2018. <laughs> and uh, well, companies also in Europe still struggle to be fully GDPR compliant after more than five years. So yeah, let's see if we if we manage to, <laughs> to have it a little bit better and uh, create a little bit uh, more legal clarity in the end with the AI Act. I think the flexibility is a good notion too. It reminds me of how Warren Buffett, if you know who he is, uh, how he yeah. runs uh, his company Berkshire Hathaway. So it's very decentralized in some ways where, because the only rule he has is don't do anything that's going to ruin our reputation. Yes. Uh, and that's it. Yeah. Every shareholder meeting he, he has, the, the only thing he shows is a video of a, a testimony he gave to US Congress um, when he was uh, leading Solomon Brothers. Um, and they had a, you know, they, he, he was brought in because they had some um, ethical issues going on, like theft yeah. and other stuff. Um, so uh, it's also legal issues, actually. Um, but, you know, so the only the thing he said is, you know, um, you know, ruin a, um, if you lose money, it's fine. If you lose reputation, I'm going to be uh, quite ruthless on you. And, and, and what he said, when people asked him about that, he said that if you have too many fine points in your rules, people are just going to find loopholes around that. Yeah. If you have something that's fairly flexible, it's it's there's enough ambiguity where people are free to interpret it how they want, and uh, yeah. and as long as it's in the spirit of what you're trying to convey, then 
you know, it, it tends to take care of itself. So, and I think so, with something like AI, it would be impossible to come up with like a, a thousand point checklist that you have to abide by as a company. Um, exactly. You know, because just exactly. for one, it's unrealistic. And two, it's just like things change so fast, it would be yeah. irrelevant. Um, exactly. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I think there are also a lot of best practices that um, we see all around the world. And for example, I'm a big fan of the US um, NIST agency or mm. the Turing Institute in, in London and so on and so on. And my hope is that we are a little bit yeah, not copy-pasting exactly what our friends in the United States or in the UK are doing, but really trying to learn from each other and also using yeah. those international um, international organizations like OECD um, as a kind of platform to exchange experiences and um, good methods to maybe address certain risks and so on. So I think it's really about bringing the AI community together and uh, mm. quickly also adapt there and help each other out. That's interesting. So one question I have is if I'm a, a company, doesn't matter where it is. Let's say I have a company in the EU, just because uh, you yeah. hit on the fact that even companies in the EU and organizations were having trouble with GDPR. And this this act is expected to maybe be finalized end of year, right? Or thereabouts. Yeah. Are there any steps I can do to start preparing now uh, for the act? Or should I just wait for the act to be done and then I can start worrying about it? Yeah. Um, well, there is a transition period of probably two years, um, which would mean, well, if we have the political agreement at the end of the year until um, the law is really published in the so-called um, official journal of the European Union, it will take another six months. So probably if everything works out uh, well, um, the law will be adopted um, in the summer of next year. And then on top, you have this two years of transition period. So the law will only apply to everyone um, in 26 in the summer. Actually, again, I, I do not know if it's then already outdated because it's two and a half years from now or almost three years. No, it's basically three years from now. Um, we will need to see. But this means, on, on the other hand, that companies still have a lot of time to prepare. I think the AI Act is already quite advanced. So you see at least the direction where we are heading. And um, so there are, for example, now certain um, obligations for, for so-called high-risk AI systems that mm. companies could already try to integrate in their product and services. And what companies also should really do is really become very engaged in um, standardization bodies um, in the member mm. states. Because again, the whole AI Act is really based on uh, technical standards. And this is a good um, way how companies can maybe also give feedback that certain things are not possible. And therefore also the standard should be giving a lot of flexibility and uh, yeah, room to, to fulfill um, or apply those standards. I think this is the best way at the moment um, for companies to really prepare of what will come in 26. Is the EU helping broker these uh, discussions with companies and, and standards bodies, or is that 
up to companies to figure out on their own. I mean, because yeah. if I'm a company, I'm like, I don't, I wouldn't even know where to start. I would like call yeah. Kai up and say, Hey Kai, like who do I talk to? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately, um, the governments are not really helpful. I would say in most um, member states of the European union. So um, I think companies, um, get help from trade associations um so mm. like in in the united states um the u.s chambers of commerce or iti or bsa or all your digital trade associations i think um those counterparts in the european union are quite active and are really trying to push their companies more on the standardization and there are certain member states or former member states, again, going to the UK, they have really um, also public programs. Um, the Turing Institute, for example, um, is now creating an AI standardization hub. And this hub mm -hmm. is really trying to connect, especially the smaller um, market players, startups, SMEs, and so on, um, together, uh, bring them together, form some, let's say, overviews or position papers, and then bring those position papers in standardization bodies. So it actually depends a little bit on the member states where um, you have your headquarter. But I think the easiest way, again, is to go via trade associations. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, I'm curious how the, how the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is uh, getting educated on this and, and transmitting that because uh, a lot of the trade associations in the U.S. in the United States, like Chamber of Commerce, they tend to be, um, let me see, for lack of a better word, very uh, old school. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, these are people <laughs> that can like barely turn on their computer. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's it'll be interesting. Uh, it's the same here in Europe. Um, we have also okay. very very traditional ways, let's say, of thinking and so on. But I would say more and more people are really realizing how important standards are. And especially, yeah. I would say, in, in the United States, probably ITI is a good bet. No? So okay. I think they are rather advanced um, in, in their thinking. And uh, yeah, so I think most companies in the US, if they already now want to get involved, they, they would find some, some organizations who could help them. And actually, this, this brings up a good question. So for people who want to learn about the act online, um, you know, speaking for a friend, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> it seems like when I, when I went on Google, for example, right, it yeah. seemed like there were a lot of um, commercial websites that were posing as the authoritative uh, yeah. EU uh, act, uh, AI act um, information repository. And then you come to find out they're just trying to get you on their mailing list. So they can send yes. you a bunch of stupid spam. Um, I mean, is there, what do you recommend as like the official uh, documentation or um, yeah. summary of what I should know? Yeah. Um, so now we are coming in a um, direction where the European Union really needs to improve um, <laughs> because <Okay>. um, <laughs> our, our transparency and accessibility of uh, European laws and also future laws, in my opinion, is really a disaster. So even um, myself, who is now working almost seven years in the European Parliament, often struggles to, to find the right documents, to find a good overview and so on, because I don't know 
what they are doing and how they are doing those mistakes and repeating those mistakes. But they are really bad in storing the data on the on the right website or the right section and so on. So again, I think there are some trade associations. Um, also NGOs, maybe also certain universities that are um, making good overviews. Um, yeah, personally, I also um, have a blog um, where I'm, for example, posting um, all the latest documents and so on. And unfortunately, I think it's those private, um, either really from an individual or from a private company or from a private organization that, that are currently the only um, sources where you are really getting a good overview. And you said it, um, we have the same with the GDPR, that there are a lot of commercial actors like law firms, like consultancies, yeah. like um, other companies that are making a business out of it, no? that um, yeah, that offer certificates, that are offering trainings and so on. I think people in governments, people in the parliament here and also in the member states, they are realizing that this is really more and more a problem and they are now trying to also draft certain certain guidance, uh, certain websites and so on. But yeah, I think European governance or member states they are often very slow. So they have also very traditional ways of thinking and so on. And again, yeah. in the end, the outcome is often not really helpful so far. But let's oh, see. Great. As an optimist, maybe they will manage it <laughs> until 26. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's uh, won't be uh, <laughs> keeping my fingers crossed on that. It's interesting because, you know, it, it's um, it's something I did notice in my, uh, my uh, spring tour in Europe. So I was traveling on Europe, giving talks. I think that's uh, how I came across you. Actually, we were talking at the same uh, conference in Munich, yep. the MLOps conference. Yeah. Yes. So, and the thing I noticed over and over was just how slow the companies move there. It was, yeah. it was shocking, even by American standards. Like there are companies that move fast and there are companies that move slow, but even our slowest company yeah. would be fast in yeah. Europe, um, yes. which is kind of insane. And, and so, yes. What's interesting is you, what you mentioned about, um, you know, sort of the, the approach of educating the public on this, right? And then I'm thinking, okay, so if I'm a European company, I mean, I can barely, um, <laughs> my, my plans are like two years ahead and I, I'm, you know, trudging along towards that. And now this comes along and it's, yeah, yeah I, I'm fascinated to see how this plays out. I, I, yeah. I uh, don't know, but, <laughs> but you I do are, have a lot of friends yeah. who are working on machine learning at these, at a lot of big companies in Europe, right? And, and so- yeah happening but i think your observation is really top-notch so it's exactly accurate um describing the situation because um this is really sad to to see that our companies uh mainly are rather satisfied with the status quo um, the european union uh, was doing quite good in the past in the 90s and so on we have our mm. car industry and so on and people were thinking well uh we are kind of having such a convincing um, range of products and um, people will still buy and therefore there's no need really to uh, to 
um, innovate, uh, to take risks and so on. And we talked already about it. Also, I would say there are really differences in the mindset. So in Europe, oh, yeah. if you fail one time, you are out forever. In the United States, mm -hmm. you can fail uh, several times and you can still Go make it. Exactly. <laughs> and then you make a really good startup and you will uh, still get a lot of investments. And I think until recently, I would really would have said in this blog, um, Europe will not have any chances um, on AI because I agree with you. Um, we are way too slow. Our companies are waiting and so on. It's still applying this assessment to most companies but recently we have more and more um yeah let's call it private initiatives and actually when you spoke in munich uh, when we were at the same conference um this conference was organized by applied ai and um applied ai is one of many um initiatives where very rich people are coming together and um are um, yeah, it's not only VCs, but it's also like from from our retailers like Lidl, like Aldi Lidl and so on. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Those people are coming together and are saying, okay, we are now investing um, a few uh, billions, for example, um, in, in this AI hub. And then everyone who is coming in this AI app uh, can use a little bit of this money and can um, try out certain things. And um, yeah, now we ha have more and more of those places. Recently, there was um, a new uh, creation in um, the Southwest in Baden-Württemberg. Again, in Munich, we have more and more startups. In Berlin, in Berlin, we have more and more startups. And in those really, let's say, limited fields, uh, there is now a lot of innovation. And those actors there are really pushing the rest of the very slow European companies mm -hmm. also to go forward. And therefore, it's not looking so bad anymore like five years right. ago, but we are still you cannot compare us with us companies that are oh, really trying out i'll give you a perspective too like one of my friends she was running a uh, she's an american and she was she yeah. was in berlin and was running a uh um managing a team over there um yeah. germans um or whoever they were i don't know germans but <laughs> anyway um <laughs> not to single anyone out um but it her complaint was you know in america if you if you mess up yeah you can get fired in Germany, she would do meetings with her team one-on-ones and her team would say, look, I don't need to listen to you. I, yeah. I work here and you can't do anything about it. And that was really frustrating for her because she'd worked at startups, worked at big companies in the United States. And she, she, ultimately, she's just like, I can't deal with this anymore. There's no way. Yeah. I, there's No matter how hard we try, they don't work any harder or any, um, you know, there's no incentive for them to, to get anything yeah. done. And so I think... Yeah, yeah. You know, there's also, I think, maybe a, a bit of a cultural thing there as well, where it's just, I definitely met some like very hard, hard charging people who just, they'd fit in really well in America and other people. It's like, you, you, know, yeah. you probably wouldn't last five minutes here. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Again, we have a lot of very satisfied people that do not see the need to innovate, to give 150% every day and so on. And especially in Germany, we have also a lot of former um, state-run companies and in those state-run mm -hmm. companies um, you basically yeah like your friend was observing you cannot get fired so even if you just never 
come to work and really not do anything, they cannot <laughs> fire you. And of course, in those companies, then it's it's really difficult to to find um, <laughs> even a small group of people who will give everything that is necessary to really bring forward mm -hmm. a new project. But again, I think in the last years, um, maybe also by integrating so many brilliant people from Canada, from the United States, from UK, from Brazil, from uh, Thailand, and so on and so on. Our teams are becoming more and more international and in yeah. those hubs in Munich, in Berlin, in Hamburg, and so on, we have now really international teams. And then I think people are really pushing each other. Yeah. And I think this is why now, especially in in Europe, it's often the smaller market players that are really bringing forward innovation, mm -hmm. while this all old former state-run companies, yeah, they do not manage. They are too slow. They have too many satisfied people. And uh, yeah, I think they will lose um, the, the connection to, to the most advanced projects and most advanced technologies because I think they are just not able to to integrate them in in their products yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah but you know it is good like the when i went to the applied ai um you know uh, conference there and saw what they're doing i was like this is cool you know it's it's, yeah. it's a tech hub and, and you know munich is i think the city of munich was is, um you know participating in that as well so that it was a yeah. cool initiative to see you know it definitely reminded me of stuff you'd see in the states and it, to me it's like you know you can complain about the past that's great it is what it is like europe, yeah. europe has a lot of europe has a lot of history so there's a lot of past to complain about um but uh <laughs> at the same time it's like the you know the, but you know balancing again against the eu act uh, the ai act yeah. right and what you guys are trying to do with that it's like that's you're, you're trying to it's not like in the states where we just wait for problems to happen and then we deal with them uh yeah. which i think there's there's some good to that and like some terrible parts of that as well like because yeah. here you can't get anyone you could have you could have groups looking at the same clock and they wouldn't agree what time it is it's just how it is here and so yeah. um so nothing ever gets done here from a um, a legal perspective it just yeah. is what it is right yeah. the, the courts are now deciding everything not the lawmakers yeah. and so but in europe it seems like at least you guys are like taking the initiative to get ahead of a situation that i think inevitably is going to impact people it just exactly it is exactly so. And I think one good um, realization that uh, policymakers um, again here in Europe had over the last years is that all those um, digital laws do not really make sense if you are not enforcing them. And again, yeah. we saw it with um, privacy um, stuff, so GDPR. Um, there are a lot of companies, uh, big companies that are violating uh, against certain uh, rules and um, articles, but nothing happens. Or even if they are in front of a court, it will take 10 years or even longer to really go to the final judgments. And then it's, of course, for a company, sometimes financially even better to break rules because then they have 10 years um, until they really need to stop a certain product or service. And I oh, think yeah. there, again, now Europe is starting to realize, okay, we need to be faster. We need to also face all those very smart uh, tactics from especially big tech um, companies. And yeah. Um, 
become also um, smarter in how our ways to to address those concerns. No? But again, it's really early time, and uh, let's see if it's working out. Um, our alternative approaches uh, to the digital uh, field. <laughs> oh, we will find out. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for the conversation, Kai. I uh, learned a ton sure. that I did not know before. Um, and I guess, uh, yeah, we'll just stay in touch, see where it goes. So end of year, that's, that's, is there a specific date or is that just sort of the general time frame that that's being yeah. planned on? It's a general um, time frame. Let me check the calendar. So our parliament calendar is going until the 15th um, of December. Um, okay. And this is really a hard deadline because then Christmas um, period is starting and there are no um, meetings anymore allowed between the policymakers, at least on an official uh, level. So if we really want to finalize the AI Act before the European election, which is um, next year already, we need to have a final agreement, at least informally, until um, this day. So it's actually the 15th of uh, December. Um, oh, okay. And because there is so much political pressure and so many people, as I said at the beginning, are now connected with this AI Act and want to also use it in the European election as a kind of political mm. victory, I think <laughs> there will be a lot of pressure to really finalize everything until Christmas. <laughs> oh, wow. How far, how far do you think that gap is between where you are today? I think there was a vote uh, in June or something and um, yeah. basically uh, December 15th, like how, how far, how close is that gap? Yeah, so the vote was in the European Parliament. It works here in the European Union um, always in this way that the Parliament and the member states need to first among themselves agree on a position and then member states and Parliament uh, on a second level, let's say, need to again meet with each other for the first time and then agree among themselves, so member states and parliamentarians. And we are now in the second stage um, but now just started to rediscuss basically everything that before okay. we <laughs> discussed among each other. So let's see. Um, we are just uh, starting now. We have basically um, yeah six months uh, with a summer break included. So it will oh. be really, really, really tight. But what is helping maybe that we are on a few or not only a few points. We we are have a lot of points where we are now thinking quite similar. So I think there is a chance again, especially with the political pressure behind us. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Interesting. Well, uh, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see see how it goes. Uh, good luck. So thank you. Looking forward we to need it. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we need it. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Um, for people who want to learn more about you or the uh, AI Act, how can they do that? Um, I'm quite active on LinkedIn or on Twitter. And as I said, there's also um, my blog, so kaizener.eu. So I think uh, one of those three um, ways is rather good to, to reach me, to um, keep being updated on the recent developments uh, with the AI Act. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Kai. Learned a lot. So thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. 
And yes. uh, yeah, we can gladly repeat it uh, maybe shortly before we have a final deal at the end of the year, if you wish. <laughs> I would love to. Actually, I have, I have a live show on LinkedIn and YouTube. I'd love to have you on um, yeah. maybe uh, later in November or December. Yeah, that'd actually be uh, make a note on that. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks Perfect. for your time, man. It's good to talk All to right. you. All right. Ciao. <laughs> so once.